Welcome, William Ramsey. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Me too. So thanks for talking to me about this. So um, right after the Emmys were over, I got a direct message from you of the selfie of the Central Park Five at the Emmys. Uh, these once convicted, now they vacated their conviction. One judge vacated it. Uh, and they are at the at the Emmys, partying it up, being fully celebrated. I mean, I, it was... I'm glad I got the text message from you, but it was it's disturbing to see, no? Yeah, absolutely. Totally disturbing because uh, it's still not... There's a significant amount of people, including the arresting officers, who believe that they were involved in, well, you know, the uh, rape and close to near murder of uh, the Central Park jogger. So I think that to see them in the, the limelight uh, with Ava DuVernay, I think it was very disturbing. Yeah, very, very disturbing. And also just the idea, I keep having a fantasy, like, well, what if they showed instead of clips from when they see us, what if they showed clips from the confession? Great, do you, great do you point. think people would be throwing tomatoes? Or Absolutely. I mean, they probably wouldn't want to be in their presence if they actually saw the uh, confessions that were in there, the non-coerced confessions, which Ava DuVernay keeps restating in public interviews that they were coerced confessions. But uh, if you look at the police procedural activities, the, the parents were there, they were invited there, um, they confessed, and so or confessed to being involved. So it, it's uh, it's it's kind of grotesque to see them uh, with these Hollywood luminaries uh, parting it up. And do you think that uh, it has anything to do with the fact that legally, I mean, we didn't even see this with the Central Park Five. I mean, we, I mean, with the West Memphis Three, all we saw was Damian Eccles and maybe Johnny Depp together on a red carpet. But this kind of celebration publicly, uh, I don't remember seeing in any of these kind of award shows for them. No, do you I don't... think that has anything to do with the the fact that they pled guilty to get out or? Well, oh, in what way? For the um, West Memphis Three or for the mm -hmm. Central Park Five? Well, yeah, I think that, that the, the West Memphis Three, Damien Eccles seemed to like the limelight. I think he was at the Golden Gods Awards at the, with the invite of Marilyn Manson at one point in 2012, 2013. So he did have a little bit of, of some type of limelight. But uh, I think the West Memphis, I think that in the Central Park Five case, the propaganda and a very slick, um, well-produced video on Netflix uh, pretty much convinced everybody that there was an injustice. And I think that, I mean, at this point, if we look at all these other cases we're going to talk about tonight, I think that the odds are against really the legal system itself in a, gen in a general sense that these processes can be second-guessed, third-guessed, and re-guessed about 20 times until the public uh, reaches a tipping point and believes that uh, the judicial process was not due process, that it was uh, rigged one way or the other. And I think that that's the case in the Central Park Five, is that if you asked everybody in Hollywood on the street whether they were involved or not, I bet nine out of ten would say, oh, yeah, it was. Uh, they were coerced and they were innocent black guys uh, framed by the police. I think they would believe that. I think they would honestly believe that. Wow. Don't you think? Wow. Yeah, I think so. I, I had a... a, a when I was researching the uh, the case, and it was just haunting my nightmares, it's really the one of the worst cases I've ever researched because the cruelty in it is 
they really just went out to rob joggers and bicyclists uh, and ended up raping a woman for fun. And they enjoyed it. They enjoyed the, the terror and the cruelty. And uh, it, it, it's such a dark, dark, dark case. And to, yeah. you know, to read, you know, parts of the confession where they're asking, you know, did the jogger say anything? And, and one of them saying, yes, she said help. Wow. And just like off, just like the worst, most nightmarish things you could ever imagine. And yeah. I understand not, you know, wanting to kind of bury it and pretend it never happened. But it's such a reversal. And a lot of uh, my friends who are very faithful say, well, this is the, you know, kind of ultimate expression of Satanism where uh, Linda Fairstein, who was really a... A crusader for women who were victims of sex crimes. Now she's uh, being portrayed as, you know, the devil incarnate, terrible person. They wanted to relook at all of her cases, which thankfully were were denied from from the seventies to two thousand and two. I mean, it's crazy. Can you imagine? And um, you know, it, it just feels very, you know, backwards. Whereas these heroes really are villains. <laughs> and the, right. No, the, so that's and the, you know, the heroes are are being portrayed as villains. So it's 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 bizarre. And I think that the way Duvernay approached her pseudo, uh, you know, film, you know, mockumentary or whatever it is, is she was really Fairstein was really put out in the beginning as the malevolent, uh, you know, framer of the five innocent young boys. The innocent, you know, music loving just happened to be at the park at night running through. Uh, you know, in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's the way it's portrayed as much as I could watch. I really had trouble watching that. I've seen so many really horrible murders, but I, for me, the it was almost like blasphemy how little uh, in, importance the truth had in that show uh, when they see us. It was incredible. Nominated for 15 nominate, nom, Emmy nominations, and I think the, <laughs> one of the lead actors won, so it did win one award. Right, and then they keep saying, you know, when he won his award, um, the actor uh, Jarell Jerome, he, he dedicated it to Corey Wise, who he played as if he's like some, you know, <laughs> incredible person, and called them the exonerated. It's like this mantra, just keep calling them, like, uh, I don't know, it makes me think of 1984, kind of, you know, um, and you I, speak type don't, thing, don't you, you know, just keep saying it over yeah, and over Don't you again. think that it's a PR technique these guys have used? Because in the West Memphis 3, almost every written piece on the West Memphis 3 or Damien Eccles is, Damien Eccles uh, convicted for a crime he didn't commit. Every time, it's almost the same phrase. So I think that that's really people, it's a PR technique to really hit people with that one sentence, simply, simple to remember mantra or phrase that... Uh, negates any of their culpability yeah and what do you think about um the two prosecutors linda fair uh fairstein and elizabeth letterer not saying anything i mean is that well i feel like they have said they've written some things in response to the um to when they see us and i do think that fairstein tried to come out but nobody wanted to listen much like you know people don't want to listen to uh, Eric Reynolds, the arresting officer, he could barely find an audience to talk about. I did an interview with him. He's been on a few mm -hmm. shows, but I, you know, once that narrative is created that these guys were unjustly convicted, any contradictory 
statements I think are perceived as kind of like, oh, this is a this is a fascistic supporter of a tyrannical legal system that's put together to uh, illegally arrest you know black people. I think that that's really what it is. So I don't think people even look at the facts of what the police uh, gather either in the West Memphis Three case or in the Central Park Five case or some of these other cases. It's incredible, especially when I it's mean, readily I mean, aren't they using Oprah? Because, I mean, Oprah Oprah says they're exonerated and we should all refer to them as an exonerated five. Then, you know, her good name, it's like her, you know, like when she had the O list or whatever, her stamp of approval right. on these. Well, she's you know, got, she's a little more interesting. She was the one who financed When They See Us. Did you know that? Yes. I, I think and, her, well, I told you what I knew when I worked at Oprah Magazine was that she didn't want to do any articles about people in prison for any, I mean, any kind of, not, we're not talking murderers, (laughs) you know, lower charges because, uh, she felt like she'd been burned by them before and that they'll never change. But I think it, she kind of changed her song when she needed parts and Ava DuVernay was willing to cast her in almost everything. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Because, uh, I was going to say like Ava DuVernay is in my opinion, a very activist, filmmaker so she's uh really trying to create propagandistic uh films in all of her films really because i saw the third i think i told you this before was it the 13th amendment and so you know she's uh definitely got a track record i would say yeah i mean uh you know i mean oprah has said some interesting and controversial things about i mean i just remember one talk i went to when i was at oprah where she said about how her mother had said to her when she was older that she was going to find, she was going to clean one day for really nice white people. And that's like was her grandmother's biggest dream. I think it was her grandmother's biggest dream for her. And she says, and and then she says to the audience, and now I have a lot of really nice white people working for me. And I just always found a very, very, it was just like a very interesting moment um and i know that she got some flack for saying that so you know i i don't i don't know it's hard to tell what her politics are at all you know she really seems to kind of have a talent for riding with whatever the you know mainstream opinion is interesting i mean i think she also did this new michael jackson documentary as well didn't she produce that yeah, after being close with Harvey Weinstein and uh, David Geffenwright and a couple right. other people who've been brought up in the Me Too movement, um, I thought that was interesting, and it came right on the tail of all the, uh, you know, uh, John, Father, you know, Father, what is it, John, Father uh, John? Uh, like, Yao, John, Yao of God. Or John, John of God, of God yes. yes, thank you, John of God. Which I know, because I was at the magazine at the time, there's a lot of us who were very disturbed that she was promoting him. And she pr- continued to promote him, even going to his healing clinic. And what that guy is alleged, I don't know what happened with that story, but is alleged at one point, one woman came out and said that he was have some kind of baby-making baby factory. Baby farm, right. Very similar to what uh, Epstein wanted to do. Right. Well, the worst thing about his baby farm is after the the woman had enough babies, the the rumor is he would kill them. Yeah. So very Uh dark. And he's friends with Abramovich. So she keeps company with some pretty 
sketchy characters. Geffen, Weinstein, Yao of God. Um, did you see Weinstein confronted the other day when he was in New York City? Did you see that those videos? I thought that was great. You know, I think we are way too polite just as people. You know, <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. Thank, thank you. Yeah. Thank well, you for speaking up, woman. Like, I know. Very I, I, good. I, would, I, would, I was surprised there was only two people that were outraged, frankly. I mean, especially <laughs> with the allegations of what he's been up to for the last decades. But her comment off the top, I think she, ad, she had to have ad-libbed it that she would have needed a rape whistle and mace. Who would have thought that she would have gone to an actor's studio and needed rape whistle and a mace? So uh, kudos to her. I mean, it takes a lot of courage. Really? And, you know, so here's like a thing they do. I mean, have you been, I know you've done a few episodes on the Central Park Five. Have you been called a racist? I got called a racist on the YouTube channel within an hour about three times. So I didn't know you were a racist, William Ramsey. I mean, the funny thing is, is that like I contradicted the West Memphis Three for years. I still contradict the, the prevailing narrative and I haven't called a, been called a hater of white trash or white people yet so it's just another you know what's another uh feather in my cap as far as all of my other insults witch hunter lunatic conspiracy theorist racist so just uh you know, these days. don't mean much doesn't mean much it's interesting because uh, one woman commented that she was very concerned about the amount of shows i was doing about black men raping white women and i was like well by large amount you mean two of the 87 or 86 shows i've done (laughs) you know some people have have their own particular axe to grind so yeah it's very interesting though that these these cases are always attached to some kind of cause so the central park five were victims of racism uh the West Memphis Three were victims of satanic panic. Right. Uh, what what uh, Adnan Syed is probably anti-Muslim, right? That's right. Even though 9-11 hadn't happened yet, people just hated Muslims at that point for no reason, I guess. And, um, and then making a murder is what? Uh, uh, real that's really? a large, large, complete police conspiracy, yes. I would think. Or you could say some kind of uh, classism. Even though they had a salvage yard and seemed to be doing okay, um, it depends on how you how you paint it. And then Amanda Knox is uh, is is a victim of uh, slut shaming. I mean, I say all this ironically: slut shaming right. and anti-Americanism. I mean, you can you have these movements for for murderers or convicted murderers or convicted rapists without some kind of cause? I don't think so. I think that you have to apply it to something and then. And then affix some injustice to that. That's really it. So, yeah, it's uh, it's just so. There's just so many of these cases going on. As Amanda Knox is still going on, West Memphis Three, Central Park Five, and I think Anansa uh, Anansa has kind of died on the vine. But these other guys are still operating, and people are still uh, talking about it to this day. I mean, Ken Kratz is still on Twitter defending himself every day against this herd. I mean, it's just, a, it's, I feel sorry for that guy. Holy smokes. You interviewed Yeah, him. I admire him so much for it because I think it really changed the narrative, him getting out in front of it and, and defending his 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 um, conviction. Convictions, yeah. I, I think it was a good thing. Otherwise, I mean, I think 
you know, we'd have Making a Murderer, like really 16. real people supporting it, 16 by now, yeah. you know? I mean, I think it's really... And as far as Adnan goes, they the last event they had in Baltimore, they were supposed to have a 1,000 people there, and about 45 showed up. Yeah, so, I think you sent me that picture, right? Yeah. Like, like First it was thing. supposed to be a 1,000 seat, then it went to 250, and then about, you know, maybe 40 people, 45 showed up max. Well, that's so. good news. I mean, that's good news. Adnan Syed is guilty as sin. So. so here's my other question, though. When something like that happens where a <sighs> cause just, like, I guess who was an Adnan supporter was uh, that guy from Pretty and John Cryer was an Adnan supporter. Right. I think he still is. Right. So what happens when it becomes not fashionable anymore? Do you get another? Do you get another case to take its place? And what is so. this about Kim Kardashian <laughs> supporting all these convicted murderers? Well, that's a two-part question. So the, I think the yeah. first thing is that when you uh, bet on a horse that does isn't going to win, you select another horse quietly and don't tell anybody. So you just pivot <laughs> right away. So isn't Cryer do uh, making or behind a film? That's uh, I can't remember his production company is involved with. Uh, can't remember which film it is. I think he's doing another do- a documentary or something. I vaguely remember that. Do you know anything about that? I don't. Okay, so I'm I gotta sorry. look that up. But okay, so the Kim Kardashian is a long story because she's been in the news all year supporting all these different people. And I talked with you in the in the pre-show about the four convicted killers that she is now uh, touting as innocent. So in California, it's Kevin Cooper. In Ohio, in Oklahoma, it is a guy by the name of Julius Jones. In uh, that was what, and then there's another guy by the name of Kevin. Kevin Keith, I think that's Pennsylvania. And then the last one is these are all convicted murderers. Um, and then there's Rodney Reed that you have done a show on in Texas. So um, all these guys are on, and I've done. The research into Kevin Cook, I've read all the, the, the court documents are readily available, easily accessed, and this guy is guilty as sin. He is there. There's overwhelming evidence. He is on death row and merits to be on death row, and I've read the court documents, so it's, uh, it's so pretty obvious. The, so what's Kim Kardashian's position on the, on the case? Well, she wants a complete... Uh, exonerations. She thinks that uh, this, you know, she's going the new DNA testing route, kind of the West Memphis 3 thing. So she wants additional DNA testing when there's already been DNA testing. And people, for the background of the case, Kevin Cooper was an escaped convict. He actually had three names. So he came out of Pennsylvania. He was a very clever person as far as working the system because when he get arrested in Pennsylvania, he would feign mental illness and they get put in a psychiatric facility that had lower standards of uh, or lower protocols of security, and then he'd escape. So he had been out of 12 different institutions by the time these murders took place um, in Chino Hills. So it was in San Bernardino. He was in, I think, the Chino Hills uh, facility and left and stayed in an abandoned house that was in Chino Hills, and it was called the Lease Home. And across the street were the, the victims of his uh, rampage, the Ryans, R-Y-E-N. And uh, what happened was, is he was basically kind of stalking. He, he was trying to get away from Chino Hills. And 
uh, he murdered in cold blood four people, and there's supposed to be a fifth that was going to die, one of the younger sons. Uh, I think it was Josh Ryan was his name. Survived, like, hatchet attacks. It was really brutal, up-close murders. And uh, so... Uh, that's really the background of the case. He had all the way. The reason he got arrested is he was in Santa Barbara and raped a woman, and she recognized the face for uh, what uh, a wanted poster of what happened in Chino Hills. What they thought was his involvement, and that's how he knew it. So he was kind of a rapist, burglar, in and out of the system. So his background, he had already been, I think, convicted of two felonies, uh, burglary felonies before these murders that took place. In Chino Hills, I think the date of that was. Um, it's funny his his fake names were David Troutman, Chico Gaines, and Angel Jackson. So he had had you know these different names. The uh, Chico, he's going. Chico, he's yeah. going after Mark's brother's name. Okay. Yeah. So it was thirty four years. What was it? Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out the date. The date of his. It was. Uh, I think it was ninety. Four ninety three, so it was a while back. I mean, let's see, what was the date? I, I don't have the facts in front of me, but yeah. So anyway, so Kim Kardashian thinks that he uh, deserves a full exoneration. So. so what is Kim Kardashian getting out of this? You think? Fame. She gets a little, uh, you know, uh, signaling of her divine nature and how she's really looking out for people who got the short end of the stick. Uh, her meeting with Kevin Cooper, a convicted murder, ended with a group hug, so that was cute. There's a picture of her <sighs> being hugged by him. So, uh, yeah, he's a uh, he's a pretty pretty scary guy, and uh, so that was one. Yeah, so she, but she's around. She's go also. Kim Kardashian seems to be wanting to be a law student, so she is now like studying to be an attorney and involved in all these innocence cases. So we'll see what uh, how everything works out. I mean that's that seems like quite a lofty lofty goal for someone you know with kids and big career and everything, but okay. Um, it's just strange to me, you know, as a as a woman, and I have to think, you know, I, I don't know to always to always be on the side of someone who's like murdered someone or raped someone, but I've obviously. You know, I, I don't know. I can't get in her head. I don't know if she really thinks they're innocent or guilty or if she thinks they're innocent. Uh, then she's pushing aside any of the more critical information. I, I, it's very strange to me. Yeah, well, the, the strange thing, too, is that all this information is readily available online. So you can go and read all of these clemency hearing materials, the California Supreme Court decision. And they just keep repeating this case has been uh, tried over and over again. It sounds like that other case that Bob Ruff is working on. What which case was that? Jamie Snow. Jamie Snow, right. So that's another case where like the evidence of guilt is overwhelming. Yeah, just from his own mouth. I mean, you know, I mean, it's not, had he not opened his mouth, it would have been a much, much thinner case, but he told every everybody he knew pretty much that he did it. Right. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of strange that way. And I, I guess I was asking, um, I was asking... I guess Lynn Hartman, who I'd done an episode with, she was engaged to Stephen Avery, and I was asking her just privately, like, why do women support these violent men who hurt women? And she said, 
they're not looking at it like that. They think it's this great injustice. And I said, well, is it because women are more mothering that they, they're just kind of trying to like almost like take care of these guys? And she says, no, it's just sort of like this, like what you're saying, kind of like virtue signaling, caring about an injustice, that kind of kind of uh, new identity like a crusader for right. justice, but it couldn't right. be. And I wonder if some of it is that we're so far removed from death in this culture. Just, do you think like that's I think that's true. It? Like they don't comprehend the enormity of what they did to other people. And I think somebody who was uh, complaining against Kim Kardashian said, why don't you read one of the surviving family members' testimony? You know, So it seems like she didn't read it. But I think that she's really kind of like an example of the larger... Um, innocence fraud movements and uh, mobocracy online of people who come to these conclusions thinking that they're Oliver Wendell Holmes and they can figure out these cases just by listening to a one paragraph uh, PR blurb. I was gonna, I was just, that's such a good point because do you think that's also kind of like a real American idea that the novice could do it better than the professional, like the, with the novice's passion or the, you know, yeah. the amateur passion or just someone from the street, like, oh, I don't know, who am I thinking of? Um, you know, I'm thinking of the, the movie with, um, help me with Julia Roberts, where she's like going testing oh, uh, well water. Eric right. Brockovich, you know, right. So she's better than all the lawyers at her job being, you know, whatever. Doing I think whatever, you're right. Mom or I think that's a chance. And also maybe some of these people didn't have the chance to go get a PhD or they felt slighted by academia or slighted by people with academic credentials and they're going to show them that they can do it just as good as they could, or we can figure it out. And I'm going to take the lead on this. So I think right. that that's, that's definitely plausible. And, you know, I've thought a lot about Bob Ruff, and in my opinion, that's what comes to mind with him, is that I can figure it out, and I'm going to find a little wrinkle in this that's going to be a bombshell and flip the whole case upside down. And you look at his cases that he's handled, and it's almost like that's what he has for each one of those cases, is this bombshell, whether it's, the police who perjured himself or the time card in Adnan Syed or all these things. There's one thing that invalidates all of the other facts and evidence and I've got it figured out. So, and, and what's amazing too, is a lot of people believe that too. So it's a mix for me of like mobocracy, idiocracy, and also kind of maybe a, a feeling of the underclass that like they can outwit like certain people. Like I don't go to do surgery at a doctor's office. I don't have a surgical background. I don't think I can do brain surgery. But some of these people think that they can outthink somebody at an appellate court and, you know, really add different stuff to that material. And that's a kind of a, it's pretty scary, actually. <laughs> yeah. And yet so few of them, I don't think, I don't, I don't even, I think Bob Ruff doesn't spend any time in court. I don't think he, no. you know, very, very rarely do I hear he's been in court. And or, it's an interesting yeah. dynamic, too, because I think that the courts themselves are kind of august bodies. They're removed from the media. They don't PR themselves. They do not engage in public discord. And I think that in the modern age with so much act activity to social media, people, it's a negative in the present current social climate because... People can't compre really comprehend them 
uh, without, you know, why don't they have an Instagram account? Why doesn't the Supreme Court of California have an Instagram account where I can understand this? So I think that they may not just be able to grasp the kind of training and kind of hierarchical nature of the legal profession and what it takes to actually ascend to even a state Supreme Court is, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a very, it's a high achievement and it takes a specific type of person to attain that and to do that work. It's very uh, rigorous, intellectually rigorous, but also, you know, you have to really be intelligent and, and have, have achieved these steps in the ladder, three years of law school, passing the bar. You, you do other cases, you earn repute within the profession, then you get called up. So it seems like people don't really understand that. It doesn't seem like the rank-and-file Americans really appreciate that, and they should. They really should. And and always you're always greeted with a sort of gener, generality. Well, you don't believe someone could get wrongly convicted. You don't believe that. Of course, I believe that someone could get wrongly convicted. But do I believe it's as common as as, as you know we're often led to believe by the innocence movement? No, no, right. I agree no, that. I you know, I've heard from varying different people that every person in death rows in any state prison always says they're innocent. So there could be 30 people on death row in Arkansas or whatever. Each one is proclaiming their innocence because they have to. So does that mean that because that one person who's been found guilty is proclaiming innocence is true? How do you find out whether that's true? You've got to look at the police record and the court record. And in so many of these cases, they're available. They're all available. Well, so. If you're Jason Flom and you have the, what does he have, the Wrongly Convicted podcast, this guy who used to run a, a record company and now has the Church of Rock and Roll in uh, New York with I've Damian Eccles being a priest, I don't know, he's a priest of the church or some kind of person no. in the Church of Rock and Roll is marrying people. And um, this guy believes everyone Everyone who says to him, I'm, I'm innocent, he's had him on a show, and, wow. and seems to, I don't know if there is a person he doesn't believe is innocent. It's amazing. I, I've never seen anything like it. So I think that that's really it. You're, they're kind of like the legal profession moves slow, you know, the life of the law's experience, and I think that the, not just the profession, but really the judiciary in the context of this new media that's popping around about them, where people who aren't trained can sit around and chat and talk. And I think that, that that's really one of the key themes in the what is the Truth is Justice podcast, where I forgot the guy's name, but he's constantly saying, like, these people are untrained. They don't know what uh, the importance of an evidentiary hearing is. They don't know what the rules of evidence are. How do they even... Oh, <laughs> yeah, Sam. Sam, yes. yeah. Uh, yeah. So how can they even... Sam Carroll. Yeah, Sam Carroll, thanks. So uh, I haven't listened to all of his stuff, but I, mean, I think he's making great points. Um and I think that he got on the record to contradict Bob a lot of Bob Ruff's inaccuracies. So uh, I think that, that that's really, I think you're in a really uh, unique environment, really in, as far as the judiciary is concerned, where the public can really have access. I mean, do you know how hard it was maybe even 50 years ago to go get the court cases and sit down in a law library? These were all impediments to the rank-and-file person from looking at stuff, but now you can just get bad PR, you know, right away. You can go on some of these shows. I mean, the, these these shows, whether it's Dr. Phil or Piers Morgan or The View, do a terrible job looking at these cases. They take terrible. five minutes. Yeah, just wretched. I mean, the And dumb. it's so cold. It's so um, 
dismissive of it, your own critical thinking. I mean, the way Dr. Phil went, uh, approached the Rodney Reed was, uh, case was I'm Dr. Phil. I'm kind of a human lie detector person with all my background. I'm going to go look this, uh, convicted murderer rapist in the eye and, um, I'll see if he's telling the truth and ask him the hard questions. He didn't ask him the hard questions. He asked him the easy, basic questions about the case. And then, Voila, declared that he was, you know, telling the truth and basically rubber stamped it for his audience and, and is sending out petitions on um, Twitter and everything to support this guy who, um, you know, brutally raped many, a uh, 12-year-old and many other women and, in addition, killed Stacey Stites and, and raped her and is doing, and it's on death row. But so my question about the death row thing is... Or death row, like the West Memphis three case was a death row case because Damien Eccles was on, you know, death row. Right. Are those activists, do they know they're lying and is it just by any means necessary? That's a good question. I think that some of the real core members in some of these cases know that the person is guilty and that's my own personal opinion. But I think they've attached themselves to these cases for either grandeur or for financial reasons, but then they're able to kind of latch on. Like I would say almost like in the West Memphis three case, those core members all probably knew that Eccles was involved in something untoward, but they were willing to just go along with it to get a fellow traveler out of jail. So I think that in a lot of these cases, some of these people do know. I think that some of them have gotten a bad understanding of who these people were. Most of these people have prior records. Damien Eccles prior record is almost never mentioned it certainly isn't mentioned in the, the documentaries but also reed and this other guy cooper these guys all were involved in all kinds of malfeasance that these the people who are making comments on their case don't know and so what about uh mumia abu jamal and leonard uh peltier so leonard peltier was a Native American, uh, it depends on who you talk to. Some people say he was an activist. Some say he was just sort of like a bodyguard uh, for the reservation, the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. Um, he killed two FBI agents. Um, and then he's had supporters like you too, the Dalai Lama, David Geffen, and Danny Glover, Amnesty International. Um, and he also did a prison break in 1979 where that left one inmate dead. But he's uh, apparently running for vice president this year from prison. Um, do you think that his supporters and Momia Abu-Jamal, who killed a uh, officer, Daniel Faulkner, do you think that they those cases are popular uh, with radicals because they feel like the killing of police officer isn't wrong or killing an FBI, two FBI agents isn't wrong. I would say that, that those are both like radical uh, cases for radicals to get behind for sure. I think Peltier and Abu Jamal actually typify those kind of radical support cases where they look past the facts and see them as, uh, you know, uh, warriors against the man. So they'll be willing to, to fight against anything. I don't know how a police officer giving a traffic ticket is some kind of uh, front soldier for a fascist state, but uh, I don't know, maybe the FBI, whatever. But I, you know, I, I do think that, that that's it. And so the celebritization of the culture, most people will latch on and say, oh, if, uh, you know, 
if the guys from Rage Against the Machine say Peltier is innocent, he's innocent, right? So, um, and so, Mummy has had like the Beastie Boys support him, you uh, know. There's a list of his supporters that is really a page long. You almost can't even list it. It's it's so chock full of celebrities that it's like which celebrity is not in there is probably easier to find. So I found it like in his case. I think, who did I, I listed some people in my book that supported him. Susan Sarandon, Nelson Mandela. She's on every list. Right. She's she like makes, Jason Sloan. Yeah, she'll, <laughs> she'll be, she wants to be first to sign. Desmond Tutu, Alec Baldwin, European Parliament, Amnesty International. So, um, And he was kind of faded, too. Like He's like another person, maybe kind of like the Central Park Five. Like He got his own radio show, and he's... Uh, the Democracy Now has yeah. them on, you know, and they're done terrible reporting on almost. I mean, their reporting Democracy Now is so poor on on court cases; it's yeah. absurd. No, it's from, bad, and I think that they don't even spend that much time on it, which is really bad. But I've seen Goodman sit with West Memphis with Damien Eccles, and just he's basically controlling her mind. She's repeating every uh, nonsensical axiom about the West Memphis Three, and he's just nodding along. It's incredible. Oh. She just nods along. I, I've written her before I before I gave up. So many. It was like when um, Hurricane Carter died. It was like this great man died. Uh, you know, Damien Eccles is saying he could be killed for a pack of chewing gum. And um, oh, that's the ice cream truck outside. Um, you know, and and she just looks at him like that's a totally normal and just nods. This is a Harvard graduate. Right. I mean, how do you leave Harvard that naive? How is that possible? But don't you think that these 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 know. cases are perceived within certain politics? So if you're on the left, these guys are if they can convince you that they're part of that social movement, their their uh, their crimes are of a lesser context and then the same thing on the right. So some of these right-wingers may have gotten a raw deal as well. I mean, don't you don't you think people look at criminality through their own political prism? Well, yeah, I, I live it with my family, and I mean, no one in my family listens to my <laughs> listens to my show because it's it's taking they they don't like it. They they say things like, "I don't know how you got so concerned." I, I'm not, you know, I don't think I Consider am particularly. I got called progressive. Political. I got called progressive the other day because I did an inquiry into Olaf Palma and said that the people who killed him were right wingers. I was just looking at the facts. You know, so yeah, that's an interesting case. It is, and that's a criminal case. It's their JFK, but uh, if you take certain positions, they'll just call you somebody. So I've been called a progressive and a conservative. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know. Like if I criticize Abu Jamal, yeah, I'm within that prism of I'm coming at it from a right wing perspective instead of objective just my attempt at objective non biased justice, like what really happened. So. So what's up with Susan Sarandon when when she named her kid after um, uh, Jack Henry Abbott, who um, was in prison, killed a guy in prison when he was in there for forgery, then gets out with the help of Norman Mailer and Susan Sarandon, then six weeks later kills, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name, kills a waiter. Richard uh, Abbott, Dan. Was Thank you. Name. Thank you so much. In a restaurant um, bathroom, so Abbott, yeah. His book so was In what, the Belly of the Beast. In the Belly of the Beast. And I was just looking at footage from Norman Mailer talk about that, and uh, he said, well, I, I don't consider myself, um, I don't consider the fact that 
you know, basically that that I helped get him released was the problem. The problem was that he couldn't have a babysitter every day, every second of every day to keep him from being violent. And that like, and then he likened it to an alcoholic, like his addiction, Henry, uh, Jack Henry Abbott's addiction to violence. He likened it to alcoholism and saying that someone needed to stay with him every second of the day to make sure he didn't commit a violent crime. And because he couldn't do that, he takes responsibility. But he said, I had a great debt to him because, uh, he was so generous with his ideas for my book, uh, about uh gary gilmore uh that i had to pay him back somehow like i mean i I would have i don't think i'd ever be the same as someone that i got out of prison you know um i don't know how they do it something like that like that i mean especially like we were talking about crimes against the body these people murdered people like these are not drug crimes uh kardashian to her credit it was involved in getting somebody out with a life sentence for drug crimes just recently i forgot her name but these are right. crimes against the body. And, I mean, you should, they should have known Abbott was trouble when he dedicated his book to Carl Pazram, who was like a notorious, hyper-violent killer. Uh, so it's uh, not very smart. Pazram was responsible for 21 deaths and additional rapes of men and women. But don't you think naming your child after that? I mean, isn't that a different level than we're yeah. no, talking there's about? Something, yeah, no, there's something weird going on. I don't know. I don't know what it is, especially with Sarandon and why they, they feel the need to go. And I think it goes back to virtue signaling, too. I think that that's, that's it. If the system's unjust, if the system's too harsh, if these people got didn't get a break. Uh, I, I would say that for these people who are in jail, I would say the system is working, that dangerous people are off the street. Uh, they've proven themselves to be dangerous, and that's why they deserve to be in jail. Yeah, and... That brings me to Mira Hindley, such an interesting case. Um, we're just talking a little bit about that. She was someone who uh, k- killed children with her boyfriend at the time, Ian Brady, in the 60s, and buried them in the moors, which is like a sort of rural area. And um, she had a lot of supporters when she was in prison. Some were, um, one was Janie Jones, who was a singer who was in there, who was in prison herself with uh, Myra Henley for controlling prostitutes and she hated Myra Henley when she came in but Henley convinced her she had nothing to do with the crimes and she also had Lord Longford who was a very liberal politician um, who uh, went on shows and said that she should get parole at least a shot at parole and have the chance to be free because the judge had said that she was unlike Ian Brady, her boyfriend, in that she wasn't sociopathic, and without his influence, she might have never done these crimes, right? right? So, and she said she maintained her innocence, but there was always this audio tape of her abusing Leslie Ann Downey, one of their victims, uh, and it was Myra's voice on the tape, not, you know, Ian Brady's. And sort of when you got to that part of the conversation with her supporters, there's a few different videos on YouTube um, from that time where they're publicly advocating Lord Longford is and Janie Jones and a bunch of other people advocating for her release and squaring off with um, Ann West, who was uh, Leslie Ann Downey's mother. And you can kind of see um, that they that they that they just shut down at the thought of the tape. You know, Interesting. and what happened? And what happened was that in the eighties, 
like 10, you know, 10 years later, she confessed to everything. And Janie Jones came out and said, I've been had. She's made a fool out of me. She's made out of fool of Long, uh, Lord Longford. And she's a very convincing liar. And I almost threw up when I heard that she had confessed everything. So it, it's just interesting that this continues on. You know what I mean? Right. Like with different bad effects, either they get someone out and they, they, uh, someone else gets killed uh, another person kidnaps someone or, you know, I mean, there's a lot of those kind of cases or um, they end up looking foolish in their belief really was like almost like a relig religious belief because it's not really based on anything except belief, belief that, that this person is telling you the truth. That's a convicted <laughs> prisoner. Right. Right. I mean, I think Sorry. it's interesting. No, but I think that that's kind of what the, what the courts are there in a rarefied sense is to find out what the truth is. What are the facts? So when people contradict what the courts have gone through, what the police have found, what the prosecutor is able to use to obtain a conviction, you can only feel, you know, you can only feel sorry for them that much, really, because there's other people whose job it is you're paying your tax dollars to, to investigate and find out what's going on. There are checks and balances within the, the judicial system. So, um, yeah, but I mean, I think, don't you think that a lot, some of these people, there's tons of West Memphis three followers who've got in touch with me and said, oh man, I supported him. I sent him money. I feel sorry for about it now. So there are people who do acknowledge that they got had and, uh, you know, it's maybe too few and too far between, but there are people who do admit it. That's a very hard thing to do. And I'm always interested I mean, it's kind of a theme of my shows, talking to people who have changed their mind or changed change their thinking on any, any, kind of, any kind of significant way. Because it's very hard to admit that you've been fooled or that you were wrong. I agree. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, the West Memphis Three, for example, I thought that there was something wrong when I first watched Paradise Lost. And then I heard that they got out and I just went, oh, there must have been some kind of uh, mistake within the trial. There must have been a technical problem or something. When they got out, I had no idea what was going on, you know, so uh, people can get different impressions. It's like, uh, what kind of information are they obtaining? So, but yeah, acknowledging that you got it wrong is, uh, I think it's a tough one for a lot of people. Yeah, I, what I don't, un I mean, I, I thank God for Ed Opperman was like really one of the few lone people out there producing any kind of uh, material, you know. Uh, about the West Memphis three being guilty, it was hard. Really? To, it was not easy to find. No, not That's easy. Not to easy say. to do either. Actually, to his credit. True. I mean, you, back in those days, it was you. You kind of uh, invoked the fury, so to speak, by even saying that. So, uh, Ed Ed has taken a lot of really great positions, long form investigative positions that uh, are really important. He puts them up anyway. He's done some great investigation, not just on the West Memphis three, but on the Hampstead hoax. And on so other people who believe that, you know, these are other hoaxes. There's one guy by the name, oh my gosh, why can I remember his name? Um, people think that he was credible, but Ed puts up his interview with him. And uh, it was also Transformation of America. So he's done some where he's exposed some of these stories that cannot be credible. Yeah, that was a great interview he did with Kathy O'Brien and her husband. She's asking Fantastic. her husband, what am I supposed to say? Oh, it was the most dangerous game and I was being hunted in the forest? Yeah, I was being hunted in the forest. <laughs> it was. It's really interesting. And, and I, I don't think it, it you know, uh, 
It's hard to say the truth sometimes. You know, I think my West Memphis Three videos are just even maybe more downvoted than they are upvoted, you know, at least pretty close to even at this point. And I still get that's what I don't understand is when someone writes something like, oh, you just haven't the reason that (laughs) Miss Kelly's confessions because i i say it so many times that you cannot ignore the fact that there's more than you know there's so many of them um aren't weren't factual and were all made up and that's how i know they've never listened to them if they say that i mean that's just i mean it's just repeating the propaganda without even looking into it i can't even imagine that yeah i mean it's it's uh, it's a shame and i think some people can't tell the difference between pr and propaganda i think that's very hard for some people so there's kind of like a word soup or concept soup in their brain where they can't sort it out. Uh, put one column of fa- actual real facts and the other column of PR. I mean, I think I told you in one of our earliest talks, one of the people who complained to West Memphis 3 said, she wrote me something and said, I don't like your version of the facts. <laughs> That's like, amazing. Oh, yeah, it's incredible. So, um, anyway. So, it's, so uh, do we miss anyone big? Uh, I don't think so. Who else? Who else is is uh, George in, in Davis? Who's How George Davis? Him? Who's that? He was a bank robber that Roger Daltrey of the Who wore a George Davis's innocent shirt on stage. He was released in 1976, and then he robbed another bank in 1978. So, <laughs> once again, surprise, surprise. Uh, I mean, it's just I, I think there. It, uh, I think they're all very, very interesting, these uh, campaigns. I mean, I think we're really at the end of the Adnan. We're at the end of the Making a Murderer, you know, series. Yes, I think you're right. And I'm just interested to see what comes, what comes, what Netflix comes up with next, you know, pretty much. It's, I mean, that's, could you, I mean, could we, you do this without Netflix or? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to see what, what I think John Cryer. This production studio is working on something, but I gotta, I'm got i trying to do it on the fly, figure it out. Remember that they were supposed to be doing a thing on O.J. being innocent uh, with yes. Martin Sheen narrated, and that never came to fruition. So right. um, I just wonder if we're kind of, I mean, maybe I'm deluded, but kind of at the top of the mountain just starting to go over the peak of, of all this innocence fraud, maybe. On the way down, hopefully. Hopefully. Hopefully it'll be down. I think that more people are kind of coming aware of the concept, so I think that that's, uh, that's good. Let's see. So do you think that, that um, oh, and Satoya Brown, there's someone that Kim Kardashian got helped get out, who, who I think is probably will reoffend and is dangerous. Oh, anyway, so I think we're close to the end. Did I miss any? Anyone? I don't think so. I think we're at no. fifty minutes. That's uh that's that's pretty hefty. Yeah, hefty. So <laughs> where can people find you? I'm on uh, the internet, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, I'm all my podcasts are all over that feature you prominently are all over. William Ramsey investigates, so if anybody wants to hear me drone on, you know, I've been told that uh, my podcasts are a cure for insomnia, so if you need to get oh. to bed. Oh, thank you, William Ramsey. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye.